A number of us here this morning are old enough to remember the chorus, little is much when God is in it. Remember that chorus? Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown, and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. And, and the idea that little is much when God is in it is a great idea. The problem is most of us don't believe that. In our society that puts so much emphasis on doing big things, on the, the spectacular. Ever notice when, uh, when television is um, talking about a new program coming on, they, they always use words like, it's epic, it's sensational, it's whatever. Nothing about being small that matters. But I want to tell you this morning, little matters with God. Whatever you and I do, wherever we are, no matter who we are, or what little we may feel like we're contributing, it all matters with God. And I want to talk about that this morning out of Mark chapter 12. If you have your Bibles or if you read your iPads or however it is that you read the Word this morning, Mark chapter 12, we'll read in just a moment, it gives us a, a, matter, a, a, a story this morning that reminds us that it matters. It matters who we are and what we do. It, it matters. Now, I don't know if you know it this morning, but uh, Mark is one of the most unique of all the Gospels, maybe the most unique of all the Gospels. It was the earliest Gospel that was written, and it was the Gospel written with the greatest degree of haste. When you read through Mark, you realize that it is written in short sentences, and Mark really gets right to the point of what he wants to say. And so Mark very quickly takes us through the life of Jesus Christ, through that very powerful moment that would forever change the world. And for me this morning, that makes it all the more curious that Mark would spend some time as he does with a nameless woman who obviously was very, very significant. So I want us to pick up our reading this morning in the 12th chapter of Mark, back in verse 38 this morning, just a few verses before the story, about a widow and her might. Would you stand with me this morning as we look at God's Word? Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 38. And as he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogue and the place of honor at the banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in their large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything. All she had to live on. Kind of makes me want to stop some time and say, uh, how many of us have put in on a Sunday morning all we had to live on? But she did, and the Lord commended her because it mattered. 
Thank you, and please be seated this morning. Now, I, I probably don't need to tell you this morning that as a former English teacher, I love to read books. As a matter of fact, my, my goal every year is to read 50 books. Now, I've never quite ever reached that goal. I, I remember one year I did manage to read 43 books, but, but, but I like to read books, and most, of the, most years I, I read somewhere between 30 and 35 books. And, and not only do I love good books, but I love good movies and I love good television. And through the years, you know, there have been some really good ones that, are brought, that, that I've looked at and I bought films from my library. Now, I have a grandson who comes to visit us once in a while. And, and when he was very young, I learned when he came to our house, I learned about animated television. Fact of the matter is, I can tell you an awful lot these days about Veggie Tales. I, I never knew very much about Veggie Tales, but I know an awful lot now about Veggie Tales. And then we moved to television programs like Noggin and Wiggles, things that just take up my television time when he's around the house. But you know, once in a while a good film comes along that I enjoy watching that, that has character in it and plot in it and action and it captures my attention. Uh, back in 2006, the summer of 2006, <clears throat> I, I, there was a film released by the name of Invincible. It tells the story of a Philadelphia man whose name was Vince Papali, who was really a nobody in the summer of, 2000, of 1976. Vince was an out-of-work school teacher, spending his time looking for a job and tending a bar at night. And in that same summer of 1976, the professional football team, the Philadelphia Phillies, hired a new coach whose name was Dick Vermeil. Now, Philadelphia was a little put out with the Eagles at that time of the year, and if you know anything at all about Philadelphia, they're normally put out with their, their, their professional teams. And Dick Vermeil, when he came to the city, knew that he not only had to get a new football team going along there, but he knew he needed to energize the city. So he came up with an idea, and what he decided to do was this. He would hold an open tryout that no matter, you know, anybody in the city of Philadelphia could come out and try out for the Philadelphia Eagles. And they could do that no matter what level of their football experience was. They might or might not have very much experience, but, but come out. And one of those people that came out was Vince Papali. Now, he had played one year of high school football. But he was a rather a, a local playground uh, legend there, and all of his friends urged him to go out there to try out. And, and believe it or not, Papali impressed the coaches on the Eagles staff, particularly the head coach, Dick Vermeil. He was fast, he had good hands, he had good intelligence on the football field, and above all else, he had heart, real heart. And that particularly was what Dick Vermeil was looking for. And so, even though all the other coaches suggested otherwise, Vermeil offered Papali a place on the 1976 Eagles team. And he would not only play that year, but he would also play three years before an injury ended his career. But you know, 
I think one of the most intriguing parts of that particular movie was a bit of the side story that was there. Because all the time that was going on, Vince Papali's marriage was falling apart. He came home one day. His apartment was completely empty and cleaned out. His wife had left him, and all that she left behind was a note. A note she had written to him, a note that contained three sentences. Here they are. You will never go anywhere. You will never make a name for yourself. You will never have any money. You will never go anywhere. You will never make a name for yourself. You will never have any money. And for the entire time of that movie, after he received that note, it is as if Papali was compelled and was being pushed forward by those words to prove his wife wrong. And when he makes the Eagles team, it is as if he had finally found redemption that he had been longing for and trying to find there. And even more importantly than making the professional football team, the reality was that he could finally tear up that letter as if to say, I am better than what you say about me. Now, when you read Mark chapter 12, when you read there, it is as if that nameless widow could be characterized by those same three sentences. You will never go anywhere. You will never make a name for yourself. You will never have any money. Because, you see, all of those statements were true of who this unnamed woman really was. She really is a nobody. She, we really don't even know what her name was and, and is. She had no statue in, in, in that particular culture. She had no power. She had no money. And even when she came to the temple to worship, those who were the, were the religious leaders only wanted to manipulate her rather and see her as a nobody, rather as someone who was to be loved and embraced with the grace of God. She was of no value whatsoever, even in God's house. And yet, in Mark chapter 12, in this gospel that is so very careful to quickly cut to the chase. And we find that there was not nothing there of passing attention, but, but Mark gave her some real attention. And he points out that he says, you know, you can sense there that Jesus is telling us and pointing out that she was not valueless, but she was great and she had value. She's not a nobody. She is a somebody. She is a child of God, a child of God. And as you read those words there, I think we have to read them in keeping with the words that come before them, words written about the scribes and the Pharisees. You see, the scribes are those men that were depicted as those folks that like to wear long flowing robes. They were men that had the choicest seat in the temple. They were men who had power and authority. They were men who had great value in the eyes of society. And Jesus says that you should watch them very carefully and keep them at arm's length. But this widow, the one who comes right to the heart, she comes with the right kind of an attitude. 
And it is as if Jesus is saying of her, upon the shoulders of someone like this, the kingdom of God is built. And when you and I read through the Gospels, Jesus is all about turning the tables. And Mark chapter 12 makes very clear the idea. Mark reminds us that all of us, as do all the Gospels over and over, that our identity is not found in the title that we possess. Your identity and my identity is not found in the degrees that we put on our wall. It's not found in the occupation that we may have. It's not, it's not found in the title on our business cards that we put out. Our identity is not found in our address. And in a culture that puts so much emphasis on how much money you make, our identity is not found on our bank account or even in our last name. Our identity and our worth is found in knowing that you and I are children of God. We belong to Jesus Christ. And folks, if you are a son or a daughter of God this morning, then you have value. You are not a nobody, you are a somebody. Whether you are a nameless widow or whether you are some powerful person, your value and your worth is found in being a child of God and absolutely nothing else. And when that title is attached to your name, you are somebody, a child of God. And you're going somewhere. And regardless of whether you have any money this morning or not, you have treasures in heaven because of who you are. But I want to tell you this morning, and the interesting thing about this story, because Jesus doesn't stop there, not just in a simple identification of who this woman was, she's a somebody. But it's also a recognition that she has something to give that is a value and of worth. And those two little mites that she gave, those two small coins, the scripture tells us they're barely worth a penny. Now, Bible scholars tell us that when people back in the biblical world would come to the temple, one of the ways in which you knew the value of the money they were putting in the, in the treasury was by the sound that it made. You see, the collection, ten, uh, the collection bins in the temple were made of some kind of precious metal. And the coins of that day were also made of metal. And so by the sounds of the two connecting with, with each other in the temple area, you knew what kind of offering somebody was giving. How would you like to do that today? Pass the plates. You know what the guy down the row is giving in the offering plate that morning, huh? I, you know, most of us wouldn't like that very well, but that's the way they did it back in those days. But more than likely, this, this nameless widow dropped her two small coins, and when she did, they probably didn't even make a sound. And yet, those two coins reverberated in the one where it really, really mattered in the ears of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, this someone, this someone has given something of incredible worth in the kingdom of God. 
two mites were not worthless. They were valuable. And through such things, the kingdom of God is built. Two mites were incredibly valuable, just as those five smooth stones were in the pouch of a shepherd boy when he faced the giant. Those two small mites were of incredible value, just as five loaves and two fishes were in the hands of a small, unnamed boy when he gave them to the Savior and fed the multitude. Two small mites were valuable to the kingdom of God, just as twelve men were. Men who came from blue-collar backgrounds, who could not even get along with each other, and who did not really understand Jesus, and yet they were the men that God used to change the world. Folks, God is always about the task of doing something with that which appears to be nothing. And if you and I are like that widow, and any offering that we have of ourselves, no matter how insignificant that seems to be, it is amazing how in the economy of God, He will take the little things that we offer and will transform them into something that changes the world. Little as much when God is in it. Amen. You ask any pastor... Uh, they will tell you that when a pastor makes a move from one church to another, from one congregation to another, that we always go through that ritual of having some meals and getting together and having people stop by your house or going out to meals together, you know, spend some final time with the folks in your congregation. What I remember about those events is that I've gone to those on many occasions with the expectation of the memories that I might be sharing with a family or a group that I was going out with. And I assumed that I knew the stories that would be important to certain people and all the events that would be important to them and our relationship together. But you know, on almost every occasion, I've ended up being wrong. Wrong. All those important things that we had done were seldom ever mentioned. All those significant things that I thought and those significant things that I, I had said were hardly even remembered. The things that everyone wanted to talk about were the events and the words and the occasions that I hardly remembered at all. Now, it was not that those things that I thought were important were insignificant, but they had found value and they had found worth and they had found meaning in sort of the everyday aspects of life. They had found them in the rhythm and the words and the actions of every day, and that's where meaning was really found, and that's where ministry had really taken place, and that's where God's grace had been conveyed. And I had missed it. Because all that I could focus on were the big things. And I just kind of assumed that the insignificant things really didn't matter in our relationships and in the things that we had done through those days. And yet, 
Just like the widow's two mites, ministry was taking place and the kingdom of God was being advanced. And God in his economy was doing something with what appeared to be absolutely nothing. And I want to tell you, it's absolutely marvelous how God goes about his task and how God goes about his work in spite of our ignorance and about the things that God has in mind for us to do and how he uses us and the little things of life to make a difference. Robert Mulholland wrote a, wrote a book entitled Invitation on a Journey. Invitation to a Journey. It's a, it's a book about spiritual formation and Mulholland had a very interesting idea about what you and I, how you and I are formed spiritually. And what he says is, spiritual formation does not take place simply when you and I are in church. Spiritual formation does not take place simply when you and I are in Sunday school or in a Bible study, but our spiritual transformation takes place every moment of every hour, of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year. In other words, everything, everything that we say, everything that we do, every place we find ourselves is part of how you and I are formed spiritually, and nothing is insignificant. That means our conversation. That means our words. That means our attitudes. That means everything you and I do and everything we say. Nothing is insignificant. Everything matters. And I believe that. And I believe we can also say this morning about that's the way that we affect our world around us. You and I don't just affect our world simply by just being out there doing what we call spiritual things. We affect our world every single day and we have a chance to advance the kingdom every moment of every hour of every day, of every week, every month of the year. And we do it by the two little mites that we offer that seem so literally insignificant. And we do it, and when we do it, our world around us is changed. I heard a Baptist preacher one time tell of a time when he was a little boy about 12 years old. A little small church where he grew up was located in rural Alabama, a church that decided to get really serious about missions. And they, they'd really never done very much with missions up to that point in life, but, but the pastor began to lead that small congregation and challenged them to do something significant about missions. Uh, they found out that they were that little small church in Alabama, that they had a partnership with Baptists, in Wyoming. So, and they, what they decided to do was that they were, they were going to offer a trip to Wyoming to work on a camp that was being built out there where that camp and its construction needed help. Well, uh, 
Six men in that little church in rural Alabama volunteered to go to Wyoming to a church out there, to a camp out there. That, that little church in Alabama didn't even have a van. So they borrowed a van from one of their neighbors, and those guys went out there. Now, it was about a three days journey out there just to get out there, and a three days drive back. And those six men spent an entire week at that camp building bunk beds for the camp. That's all they did for six days. For, for those days out there, they just built one bunk bed after another. It occurred to him in the years after that that there must have been a lot of people back in that rural church in Alabama and perhaps even among those six men that went out there who felt like what they had done was a waste of time and was very insignificant. I mean, after all, they had driven six days to get there and to get back in there and to do what? To just build bunk beds and they built them at a camp where they weren't even sure the camp was going to survive and if that camp would ever be completed or if there if it would ever operate successfully at all well that 10 year old boy grew up and went to college and he volunteered after his freshman year he volunteered to be a summer missionary and to work as an apprentice to a missionary and at first he was asked to go to Alaska but the very last moment the plans were changed and he was sent instead to Wyoming to be to the western part of that state and when he got there the missionary said to him you know well, one of the things that we do during the summer is that we take our, our boys to camp we have three sons and every summer they all get a chance to go to camp and they have to have camp counselors so you're going to go with them across the state to, to Cheyenne, Wyoming and take them to their camp. On that first day as they approached the camp it suddenly dawned on him they were at the camp where those six men those many years ago now had gone there to do some work. And that realization changed into, a, into an absolutely magnificent week for him in his personal life and his own personal experience. For you see, each night he took young boys and tucked them into sleeping bags that were placed on bunk beds. Bunk beds that had been built by six men from his home church ten years before. That week, young boys became Christian. Little boys who came from broken homes learned how to smile and laugh and have a good time. That week, children who had never encountered Jesus Christ met Him and learned the stories of the faith. And every night, with only the crickets chirping in the background, those little boys were placed in beds, bunk beds those men had built. Six blue-collar, average, ordinary men from a little town and a little church in Alabama, they came home maybe feeling they had done nothing. 
But in the economy of God, they had done something. They were not nobodies. They were somebodies. And it was not nothing they had done. They had really done something. It was their might. Their might God had used to transform the world. The world of little boys who would never be the same after being in camp that week. Do you hear it? Do you hear it? It's faint. But if you listen, you can hear the sound of the coins hitting the collection plate even today. They're not nothing. They're something. And as you and I offer our little might, God can transform the world through people just like us. It's a word of hope. No matter what you may think about yourself, you are somebody if you're a child of God. It's a world of challenge. Never to take for granted any moment of any day. Because through God, the world can be changed even through the most insignificant things that you and I use or you and I do or you and I say. And I believe God is saying to us, offer what you have and then stand back and see what God might do through us. Wouldn't it be amazing at Willard Church of the Nazarene if you and I all together just gave what little we have, put in our little two mites that we might seem so insignificant in the big picture, but God would take those little things we do and we say and what we are and use them for the glory of God, building His kingdom in the life of someone who needs to know about Jesus Christ in the world where you are day after day. Would you bow with me just for a moment? I'm going to tell you this morning, you are not a nothing. You're not a nothing. I don't care what someone has told you about you through all of your life. I don't care what you think about yourself this morning. I don't think what society says about you this morning. I, I, I don't care what the enemy of your soul would say about you this morning. You are not a nothing. You are somebody. And God is asking you and me to offer what we have and what we are so that he can transform that and use that to make a difference in our world. And what you have to offer might just seem like two mites. But if you will give that to God, He will use it to change the world. Heavenly Father, all across this congregation this morning are men and women who have so much to give. The problem with us, Lord, is that we've listened to the society around us. And we've listened to family and friends and 
Some of us have come through difficult family situations where we've been beat on and beat down and been made to feel like we're nothing and we have nothing to offer. And some have just gone through all kinds of this and that until we feel like we really have nothing to offer. And that in the big picture, we are nothing. But you tell us this morning through this marvelous little story that, that we are something when we are a child of God and that you recognize us and you make us something because of what you have done in us and continue to do in us. You are faithful and you are good and you take us and take the little two mites that we might offer and touch them by amazing grace to help us transform the world in which we live. And out there today and tomorrow in our world, out there today and tomorrow, Lord, and every one of us, and our, our little circle of friends, and in our job, and out there where we are today and tomorrow, in our little world, as we give you ourselves and turn over the little two mites of our life and our, our abilities and whatever we have, we, we give it to you and say, Lord, take it. And bless it and use it for the glory of God. And take our mites and change our world for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen.